is Amanda. And this is Chris. And this is Vocal Perspective. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Vocal Perspective. This is episode 72, which is pretty freaking cool. So today we've got a great guest that I've been waiting for 72 episodes to have on the show. We have Ariel Arbiser. <laughs> she and I go way back like 10 years or something now, probably more than that. And she has been in multiple different acapella groups, multiple different styles, multiple different group formations, all girls, just two, five college groups, six girls, all those kind of things. So, And she's only 22. <laughs> what in the world? How is that possible? <laughs> but hi, Ariel. How are you? Thank you. Hi, I'm well. I'm excited to be here. This is a lot of fun. I enjoy this podcast and... a lot. Truth bomb. I don't actually know how old she is, guys. Like, don't, I'm just... Oh, I'm, looks like I'm she's 32. 22. <gasps> I'm 32. I was 10 years off, but if you saw her, she looks like even younger. <laughs> I gave her 22 just to be nice. Like, she can rent a car or maybe maybe if somebody believes her, but she's really, she looks great. Well, for people that aren't familiar with you and your work, first of all, go get on that. But tell us a little bit about how you got into the acapella vocal world. I would say I started to get like actively interested in acapella my last year or two in high school. I was in every choir in high school. I was already definitely very involved with choir and musical theater and any kind of way I could use my voice. But I became very aware of collegiate acapella as I was applying to schools. And I came from Iowa where I was, I don't know why it feels relevant, but I I was planning to leave Iowa for college. And so part of what influenced the schools I was looking at was whether or not they had acapella. And it's so silly to say that, but that's the truth. I was definitely considering that in the decision-making process. And it came down in the end to McGill or Cornell. I was hemming and hawing, couldn't really decide. And really the final decision was that Cornell had a really intense and flush acapella <laughs> scene. And McGill had a great music school but didn't really have a contemporary acapella scene on the same level and I just knew that was like the extracurricular I really wanted to be involved with during college and so I went with Cornell and immediately my job once I got there was to like scope out all the acapella groups and decide like my ranking of what I wanted to do man it was a thing I think when I was a freshman there were probably like 14 acapella groups at Cornell and now there's like 20 every time I turn probably. around there's another Cornell group in my inbox being like we're interested in getting a quote from you. I'm like, wait, there's more Incredible. I know. Every time I talk to anyone from my college group, the cordials, they'll like mention a group casually. And I'm like, who, what, when did that happen? Why did that happen? Are they doing anything different? Oh, they are. That's cool. Like, that's awesome. I didn't realize there was a group like that there now. But yeah, I kind of narrowed it down. I realized I wanted to do co-ed pretty quickly after listening to some arch things that was just like the vibe I wanted. And cordials was my top choice. And I got in, which was like three thrilling and that it's like was rushing history. a sorority or a fraternity I mean I don't think people understand that like don't knock college acapella because it is very pitch perfect e in a really strange way you know just without the drama every day you know like but you have Completely. that rush right like tell me a little bit about it because I went to a tiny I mean I guess I didn't, it wasn't tiny but it was definitely not Cordell but I went to Indiana State University and it was a kind of a sleepy college in a lot of ways we're not now they're doing they're like rocking out we weren't even mm -hmm. a school of music 
music yet. We were just a college of music or a department. I don't even know if we were a college yet. We were like, we're over here like getting degrees and stuff, but they're like, you're not a school. <laughs> but we didn't have any, we had, you know, SAI and Find You Alpha and stuff, but it was definitely more pushed for band. And I'm just curious, tell us a little bit about that process before you got accepted. I just really want to know selfishly. Yeah, I made a schedule. I was just over the top about it. I made a schedule to make sure I heard every group I was even slightly considering during their, you know, during orientation week, they all have like little performances and stuff in order to kind of woo students and, you know, get their vibe out and their music out. So people can kind of see what they fit. And I remember, I think I had four groups ranked and I, I'm trying to remember exactly the order of events, but I know before the weekend I auditioned for acapella, I had an audition for a musical theater troupe that I did not get into. And that's the only reason I ended up auditioning for acapella because had I gotten into that, I never would have probably taken on anything else. So, and now the leader of that group is still one of my best friends. So it's kind of great. We, it worked out well for everyone, but I think I got into one co-ed group, one of the like lesser known kind of newer co-ed groups had their callbacks a day or two early to try to like take people early so that they wouldn't go with other groups, right? A strategy thing. And so they accepted me. And I remember having a really awkward conversation with them where I was just like, thank you so much. I also am waiting to hear back from (laughs) these other groups. It's been so great getting to know you and like, maybe we'll work together. I just don't know, you know, kind of like putting them on hold. And it's good practice uh, for job offers. Like, hold on, I've got, I possibly have a better offer coming. Yeah. Yeah. And really, thank goodness it happened. And, and it was interesting, the callback day, so many groups have callbacks on the same day, and they have to like schedule you to share you. I ended up years later becoming like the president of the board of representatives from all of the groups. So I ended up being in charge of all of that terrible politics. It was awful. But I felt Why like I was doing the right no. thing because okay, those freshmen nerds. needed yes, it because those groups just took advantage of everyone, but including the cordials. We did that too. But on that day, they all kind of share you and you have a certain amount of time with each group if you're called back to multiple groups. And I remember like trying so hard to get a read on like, oh, this group, I like their music, but like they don't seem to like each other. So like, I don't think I really want to be with that group. And it helped solidify my choices. And yeah. And then that night they all come around singing and knocking and like surprise you. You're like waiting in your room, like wondering if anybody's going to come pick you. And I heard a group coming down the hall and I was like, oh, I hope it's not this group because I really want the cordials to pick me first. And it was the cordials and it was great. So I know I don't even know if my second choice group chose me or not because I was out of my dorm partying with the cordials <laughs> and they might have gone to an empty dorm. I don't know. I never asked them because who needs to know? Yeah, it's intense. And so years later, yeah, I became in charge of like making sure there were rules in place to make sure that kids weren't really taken advantage of and that they had a chance to really spend time with each group and get to know everyone and that no group could do that thing where they jump ahead and accept you early so that the kid wouldn't have a chance to hear the other groups. It's such an important opportunity that you're giving. And I think it's really important that you're putting those protections in place because it could be a make or break decision. Like that could really be hugely impactful or also really difficult. Like if you make the wrong decision or you feel pressured into doing something that wasn't right for you and didn't fit. And I'm just super impressed that at the ripe old age of probably 18 or whatever you were, when you walked into Cornell, that you had enough thought to be like, "Uh, I have 
this is a commitment. This is like, a, this is bigger than just making a group like you used to do in high school, right? Mm-hmm. This was a bigger choice. And I also want to know what in the heck is going on in the water in upstate New York. There's Man, nothing else Ithaca to do. Cornell, like on this. Is. Okay. Well, you know, Ithaca is so cool. I guess I don't know right now what their status is, but when I was in college, they only had three acapella groups. They had an all-male group, an all-female group, and a co-ed group. And I was really jealous because I felt like it's so cool. You just decide like what sound you want to be a part of. And then that's the group you audition for, you know, rather than debating about the social scene and like all of those other things, which is its own cool thing, I guess, but made it a lot more complicated. And in general, I think most people ended up with the right fit in the end. Sometimes it took a year, maybe somebody switched groups every once in a while, but it was pretty rare. I think most people ended up loving the group they were in and that was really lucky. And there was just arch things everywhere you looked all the time. A lot of arch things. Picking a concert date was rough. (laughs) Yes, I have been a part of those discussions. uh, (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure Amanda's aware. (laughs) And they're like, which location do we get? And somehow all the groups that booked us to run live sound were always in that venue that didn't have an elevator. It was just like these rickety stairs and I had to carry all of my equipment. That's my recollection of being at Cornell with ice and stairs. But anyway, you've done a lot since then. You've been in multiple groups. You have been a featured soloist. So tell us maybe one of your standout moments in one of those or all of those groups. I will list them. Uh, I mean, the first (laughs) notes because there are so many. Yeah, for sure. We don't have to talk about all of them. The first really exciting moment, I think, was at the end of my time in Cordials. So I decided I was leaving school. I left school to do music, basically. I was really depressed in college. And the only thing that got me out of bed and out of my dorm was acapella and musical theater. So it was helpful to like realize that's something I want to do with my life that gives me motivation and excitement. And when I was leaving school, struggling with that decision, Overboard at the time, which was an all-male acapella group, invited me as their first like guest soloist. I think I was the first. I was definitely the first college person they invited to sing Dog Days Were Over and do a recording of it for a release and then perform with them live. And I was like, I've made it. This is it. I'm really in the big time now, you know, but I really felt that way. And it just was so empowering that, you know, I was making this big choice to change my life for music. And it was validating that other people saw that there was some potential there and that they wanted to work with me and you know they'd only heard me singing with cordials so it was cool that like that group had been a part of the experience and getting me this other connection and that was really cool and just led me to meet some people in the post-collegiate acapella world when I started going to festivals and stuff I already was friendly with those guys and you know with the pickups at festivals just a group of random acapella people who would join together and sing and I was able to like start out singing Dog Days Are Over which was cool and feel like I had a place in those festivals even though I didn't really have a group yet. The initial pickups in LA was so much fun. It was so much fun. I look back at videos of that and I'm like, wow, like look at the lineup of people that were in that inaugural It's insane. Thank you, Nick Gerard. Yeah, the recording of the rehearsal in that hotel, I think it was Ellie Landau's (laughs) hotel room. That's like one of my favorite videos (laughs) of my singing online. It's just such a special moment and I just remember how terrified I was and it was awesome. That's when I met almost everyone I still talk to in the acapella world. Pretty cool. I love what you said when you were like, I I felt like I made it and you celebrated (laughs) that. I think if more of us celebrated the little tiny, and when we say, we look back and we say the little moments, right? Because you've probably had tons more big moments that you've come from that. But like, if we celebrate 
when you feel like you've made it, think about how much more fulfilled we would be and how much more motivated we would probably be if we weren't just always shooting for the next best thing and we were just excited and just embrace I made yeah. it. I mean, like, and then, you know, know what, what was it, a year later, you were on stage at SoJam with the Swingles? Uh, I think it was a couple <laughs> years later, but that was the like, Excuse me? Like, I even know who the Swingles are, and that's saying something. Yeah, that's the Swingles very are cool. a really big deal. <laughs> yeah, but that was also, I, that was, they were running some fundraiser or something where you could, I don't want to say like pay for a spot, but like basically pay for a spot to sing. And the exciting thing was that they invited me to do that performance, right? They didn't have to have me do such an exposed performance with them so that was really lovely and terrifying everyone I knew who like cares about acapella was in that audience that was a good so jam. Uh, I barely remember anything other than running the lyrics in my head up until that but yeah I mean every so jam was a lot of fun I thought <laughs> So, well, and then you've been in a couple. I want to touch on your duo that you did with Joanna Vinson and then also Lady J, because mm-hmm. I feel like both of those groups were turning points for women in acapella and contemporary acapella. Nice. I agree. Oh, that's really lovely. Thanks. Yeah, I think Lady J came first, I if I so. remember correctly. Lady J technically formed, it was Brie Holland, Solana Scarlet, and I were good friends through acapella festivals and I think we were at a workshop with Fork maybe the women of Fork talking about something that like left us brainstorming how we could start a group together basically I know Fork and I went too <laughs> yeah <laughs> I think that's the group that was don't worry I would know very few barbershop groups so you will have me beat for sure but yeah we just started brainstorming how we could start a group and we all lived in different states so it was automatically going to be a long distance thing and we spent like a few months interviewing people on Zoom or whatever we were using before Zoom. I don't even remember Google, I guess. And what is time? And yeah, we like scouted women from different groups and really like came up with our dream team and cast a group basically. And it ended up being, we set a deadline to like audition for the sing-off was kind of our like first goal just to have a timeline in mind basically and like a meetup in mind. Uh, And we met up in New York City and did that. That was the first time we all met like a day or two before the audition. And we got fairly far in the audition, which was cool. And then we just decided to do like recording stuff. So we did a couple singles together. And then one of the women had to leave for like a work thing. And the five of us continued on to do an album that Flux, which I think is probably other than some cordial stuff, honestly, is probably the creative work I'm most proud of in acapella. It's one of my favorites, um, I will that be I've very honest, because of. it's still enough women's groups out there doing things that aren't I don't want to say cutesy, but it also when women's groups want to be fierce, it almost comes off as contrived as like, this is what I'm supposed to do. But Lady J's work was different. It was real. It was authentic. You can hear it. That's beautiful. Thanks. Yeah, we definitely wanted to do like give our full selves and just be not afraid to be loud and be ugly and give the full range of our emotions. And that was kind of the thought process behind we had those little talking interludes that, you know, if I were to redo the album, I think we we all agree we could probably refine those a little bit. But we had like two and a half days together to do the album. And that was 
was how that ended up. So I'm glad that we included it. But I think that that added to the depth of that album in that it wasn't just pretty or sexy or like loud. It was also vulnerable and angry and all of the other things that women are and that we all are. And it was a little divisive, polarizing <laughs> for sure. But that's, I think, the best. I think unapologetic is really important because I think oftentimes women groups will come out, especially, and even men's group, I catch them doing this, all men's groups, I catch them doing this, but women's groups will come out and they'll sing something fierce and they'll be angry. And then they'll quickly turn to something that makes them look really happy and really sad and like really good. And like, <laughs> I'm good. I'm nice. And I'm fine. And my head's on straight. Right. I just wish sometimes they would just be unapologetic when they decide to really be raw and lay it out there and, and just roll through those emotions without their feeling like, okay, I was angry now. Like Amanda said, you yeah. know, contrived, right. You know, I believe them until they're able to be like, flip it off your fingers. Right. Like, and then it's just yeah. it's gone, you know, and I, I've literally been to one ICCA finals now and I've never um, been to a final. <laughs> great. I was backstage, but the group that won, I, I mean, I scored the whole thing and I was completely wrong. I was like wrong, but the group that won, when I went back and watched, those were the things, the authenticity, they didn't apologize for anything they did. They committed to what their message was. And if they didn't win, it was not a big, it, what, that's not what it was about. Their message came across. I'm trying to remember who was the name of the group. Was the year that you were there? Yeah, I think it's in Well, in harmonics were definitely, I mean, of course I go by colors, right? But we're they the were pink. there, but I can't remember if they were the ones. Are they from yeah. New York? Yeah. Okay, then it was them. So I think it was them because they did this whole Kanye West kind of like they wore the khaki, but they didn't apologize. Well, you know what's so funny is that in college, the only other group I ever saw perform while I was with the Cordials that I was like, I would consider like that group as appealing to me as my group was the Anharmonics. We did an event with, I think it was with Ithaca Pella and the Cordials and After Eight, we hosted something, which were two groups or Ithaca Pella is from IC and After Eight is an all-female group. And we invited a couple other groups up to do it with us. And, and harmonics were one of them. I had never heard of them before. And they did Whipping Post. And I just remember being in the audience. Whoa, I didn't know people could sing like that. I didn't know you could give that much on stage. Like I was blown away. And I was just like, wow, that's what I want to do. And and I think that Lady J was one of the reasons that I was so passionate about what we did was that we really, I mean, every solo session, Brie and I basically produced the album together. She did really the technical and I was in there coaching every soloist because my whole bent is to give authentic emotion with whatever you're doing. Like, I don't really care unless I can feel what you're saying, you know, unless I believe you. And it's hard to do that with every group, you know, because not everybody is willing to go there or feels like it's that necessary to go there. Like they just don't see the value in it necessarily. And that's okay. Like everybody has their own thing, but definitely that's a goal of mine is to coach singers to get to that point and to understand how valuable that can be and connect with their audience in that way. And I think Lady J accomplished that for the most part. And it's still so meaningful yeah. to me. I mean, sure. we have to not be afraid of being <laughs> controversial. And I, I even find that in myself sometimes. Yeah. I'm like, ooh, is this going to push too far? But you know, yeah. and then I, your work comes up a lot. And I love the stuff from Frisky Business, even though there's at least one track that we can't even play on the radio because it's so <laughs> explicit. But I love it. Hey, we didn't write it, though. We just... But I love it. And, you know, in an entirely different way that brought out a different side of you and of being real and not being afraid to just be yourself and express your own thoughts, even if they were through someone else's lyrics. You know, we don't hear that kind of stuff from girls groups. Every once in a while, 
well, we'll hear acapella. We wait until people are like not campy and we celebrate that. But I think girls groups are especially afraid to be controversial. And I think what you and Joe did was really admirable. Thank you. Yeah, I thought that was a really fun project too. And it's a shame that we now live so much farther away than when we started. We started when she was only two hours away. And so there was actually like a possibility we could do gigs and stuff. And then she moved to Texas. So maybe after the pandemic, we could figure it out again. But where uh, where are you currently, Ariel? I'm in Ithaca, New York. I still live where Cornell and Ithaca College are. Yeah. That whole area of like central upstate New York is home to all of our barbershop competitions. So we will have to remember that, Chris, the next time we're up there for area. Well, let me know. If you can believe Watertown is like a mecca for women's barbershop. I didn't know it was specifically for women's, but I do know a bunch of acapellas or barbershop singers that come from the Watertown area or that... Yeah. I only know... International champions one in <laughs> I only know one chorus actually in Watertown and it's a female chorus. They're Northern Blend, but there are some... I think there's a men's group up there too, but they have one... I don't even know how many champions. More than my hand, more than all the fingers on my hand. But the thing about them is they're pretty new champions, but in their chorus is a tribe of queens. Quartet champions just come out. And and that I look at that and I want to, this is something that I always wanted to talk to people in acapella about is winners breed other winners. It's a culture. Yeah, I'm not spilling the beans (laughs) here, right? But, and also winners attract other winners, right? And so it's just beautiful to watch this. I mean, Watertown, I've been there one time. It's just this little tiny upstate New York town. Not real tiny, but it's smaller. And the next thing you know, you walk into this room and you're just hanging out. For me, you're hanging out with some of my biggest barbershop idols especially so in the cool. female. I did not know that. We'll have to introduce so. you to them because they are yeah, that would be fun awesome. people too. So now you are working on a lot of different projects. You teach voice lessons, which I have taken some of Ariel's voice lessons at festivals and events, which everyone, if you have the chance to do it, you should. But you're working on your own album, which I hear we might get to hear at some point, like soon. Yes. Yeah, this album has been in the works for years. I It's actually a bunch of it is in collaboration with a couple people I've done acapella groups with. So a couple songs are co-written with Harry Nichols, who I was in the funks with. Like half of the tunes I worked on with Brie Holland, who also did the vocal production on the album. Just a shout out to Brie because I think she gets the best out of me vocally. And I think she does that for many people. I always recommend people chatting with her. Stay She's tuned. Incredible. We will have her on the I love her work. Yeah, Yeah. if you haven't, you got to get around here. She's just a gem. But yeah, this is really a culmination of my 20s, I guess. And the journey from not having any confidence in my songwriting ability, you know, I think like many of us, I decided really young what I was and was not talented at and set aside anything that I decided I was not talented at. And songwriting was one of those things. And in my mid 20s, I guess, some people encouraged me to really explore that a little more. And I'm so grateful because I really feel like still uh, a muscle that I'm honing and I'm making stronger. But I'm really proud of this album. It's eight tracks, a bonus track to make nine and a story of mental health and love and community and heartbreak and it's definitely a cool thing but it has instruments okay we'll <laughs> yeah. allow it hopefully people will forgive me i think it, it does seem i think clear that i come from an acapella background when you listen to it because there's so much harmonizing oh, no. and like, like uh you know sing-songy stuff for like regular bands and i'm putting that in air quotes but like regular bands every <laughs> time the lead singer would step up i'm like 
man, more acapella people should get into singing with instrumental bands because these soloists have nothing on things that I've heard at high school concerts. And um, (laughs) another shout out to tell people, like, if you are an acapella singer and you want to be in a band, just go in there telling them that you can sing acapella harmony and they will be like, okay, because too many bands I've walked into and they're like, wait, 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 you you sang barbershop? You you sang acapella? Yeah, we'd like to hear you sing some harmony. It's definitely interesting. I don't know about all instrumentalists, of course, but it's been interesting sharing, deciding like when to share that I have an acapella background with instrumentalists I find it can be you know there's obviously a snap judgment sometimes that comes along with that I think that's changing a little bit as contemporary acapella especially becomes more mainstream but you know my parents used to tell their friends about me as she's an acapella singer and I was just like please don't (laughs) describe me that way because it's nothing against acapella but like when people hear that they only think one type of sound you know and or at least many people do not everyone right but enough people do that I would rather you say like she's a singer or a soul singer who does acapella right like or who's trained in she does you know, yeah yeah. <laughs> I think that's actually extremely smart and an extremely important thing. It's, it's kind of like having a pronoun in acapella. You know what I mean? It's like, or yeah. in the singing world, it's like, I'm a singer first. I just choose yeah. to specialize in. Right. And it's interesting. Definitely just some people, I was just having a conversation with a barbershop guy. I don't know if you would, I think he's from maybe from Watertownish area, Tito Reyes. I don't know. I know Tito. Like, I know Tito. I've done my Yeah, I feel like Tito knows people. I, so he lives in Ithaca also, and he plays ska and stuff. So we've run into each other a lot through band stuff. And someone posted a status or whatever. I don't know. Somehow acapella came up on a status and a bunch of band players, like instrumentalists, I don't know why I'm speaking so awkwardly. We're just like, oh yeah, but anytime I hear anything is acapella, I just like assume I'm going to hate it. And it's like, okay, that's a bummer yeah, because no. you probably <laughs> wouldn't really. Yeah, like you wouldn't. You should check it out. Like let us send you some of the greatest stuff, you know, because between two and I like he can send you the best barbershop I bet and I can send you the best contemporary acapella and you'll like have your mind blown and they're just like well I mean speaking of fork I was with (laughs) our bubble family and there's a five-year-old boy and he is obsessed with like Aerosmith and Bruce Springsteen right now and he just wants to be on in a band with like guitars and drums and I was attending laugh virtually while I was hanging out at their house and I was like oh do you want to learn how to beatbox so I brought them in so they could listen to my capella and Peter Huang and then I was like oh wait, I know somebody that sings like a crazy metal band. So I was like, here's Mm -hmm. Fork. That kid spent the next 45 minutes watching Fork videos. And I was like, I'm so proud. I'm so proud. I believe it. I still remember the first time I heard a Fork video. I was in college and James Cannon played me a video of Fork from maybe it was a Sojam or some other festival. And it was like a terrible grainy video. And all of the cordials were just like, how is that possible? And we were like, that's what we're going for, you guys. We're going to make that happen. It's inspiring for sure. They're only even better now, like 15 years later. And they retired in the middle of the pandemic. And I'm like, no, they were supposed to go to Boss for like their last tour in the United States. I thought that they were going to keep trying to keep going. They couldn't hold out any longer. (laughs) They needed to get on with their lives. But for anyone that has not heard Fork, now that we've brought them up for like eight minutes, go 
treat yourself. Check them out. Yeah. Okay. This has been a pleasure. I would hang out. I'm I'm in a different closet, Amanda. We didn't talk about that. I'm not in my. I do. I'm not in my closet at home. I'm in my dad's closet at his house. A very roomy, luxurious closet. I know, right? I can. I mean, this is bigger than like her other. It doesn't. I usually have my crown behind me and my medal, and I have like all my snow day acapella clothes, fancy barbershop sequins, and I can usually reach and pull out a high heel shoe from any nook and cranny. But I'm in my dad's closet and I would hang out in this closet and talk to you all day. I wish I could. You, I can't believe I haven't met her sooner. Amanda. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Yeah. Amanda, why haven't we been friends sooner? Like I'm why didn't you and I I'm become really friends sooner? I'm really sorry about that. She didn't collect me <laughs> soon know. enough. Great. We've yes. talked about Amanda's this. It's Amanda's collection. a people collector and she didn't, and she didn't collect me soon enough, but it's okay. <laughs> we're, we're, we're in now. But I mean, that's I can't really emphasize nice. enough for anyone that's looking for inspiration to really truly be authentic and not be afraid to take risks to check out your work and to follow along with your adventures because I know there are more coming. Yeah, thank you. And I do think there's some risks on my album too, which is called Risk of Love, by the way, which will be out very soon. We don't have a release date yet, but it's all We'll make sure we share it. So So. listen to the podcast and then follow it so that you can know when you can go check out the album and we'll give you special earplugs for the instruments. No, just kidding. I play the saxophone. I'm just going to truth bomb here. My name is Chris. I sing acapella and I also play the saxophone. (laughs) I feel like we should have that should be part of our podcast, Amanda. We all have to like admit. That's all right. My pandemic thing has been... um, I'm learning the ukulele. Foyables is what Because we're doing... Reasonable. It's reasonable. I have nothing better to do. I don't have to get on any planes, so... Yeah. Ariel, I've said it before, and I'm going to say it again. I just wish I could hang out in this closet and talk with you all night, and I hope we do it again. We'll have a second Ariel episode when it's time to release your album. Thank you so much for being with us, giving us your time, and I hope that you get off that pull-out couch real soon for your back. I really do. (laughs) Thank you. Me too. We'll see you next Tuesday. Ladies and gentlemen, we will see you next Tuesday.